0: and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. Apologies for bringing you this episode a little bit late this week. I've been bunged up with cold, so you can probably hear that on my voice a little bit still, but we're going to plough on anyway. And this week, we're looking at the case of the Crown on the application of Tag el Ramadan Bashir and the Secretary of State for the Home Department. And the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 45. This case is at least partially about the UK's relationship with Cyprus, and so it is useful to start with a bit of a historical background. A formal political presence on the island began in the 1870s for the UK, when following the Russo-Turkish War, it was leased to Britain so that they could run Cyprus and also protect the Ottoman Empire from further Russian aggression. Britain then took over full control after it found the Ottomans on the opposite side during the First World War. As the 20th century progressed, Colesford's autonomy grew stronger until 1960 when Cyprus attained independence, with only two very small exceptions that are crucial to this case. As part of the Zurich and London Agreement, Britain retained the areas of Akrotiri and Decalia, which became sovereign base areas, or SBAs as we'll refer to them throughout this case, uh, which he used for UK military purposes. This is important because the other party to this case, aside from the UK government, is Tag al Ramadan Bashir and five other refugees who, way back in 1998, attempted to get from Lebanon to Italy. In a story that has become all the more common in recent years, the ship failed to make it and 75 passengers had to be rescued by the RAF and taken to the Akrotiri SBA. The six individuals were accepted as refugees by the administration there, but were subsequently denied permission to resettle in mainland Britain. The consequence is that since this time they have had to live in not exactly pleasant conditions on a military base. There has also been a dispute between the UK and Cyprus about who is responsible for the refugees, and that led to an agreement in 2003 whereby services would be provided by the Cypriot government, but paid for by the UK government. Unfortunately, this was all of no help to the refugees at the centre of this case because that agreement only applied to refugees who might arrive in the future. A purported subsequent agreement between the UK and Cypriot authorities in 2005, that the arrangement would also be extended to existing refugees, was never formalised and is contested by Cyprus. Interestingly, this course of action is also rejected by the refugees themselves, because you will remember that they are hoping to settle in the UK and therefore don't want responsibility for themselves to simply be passed to another country altogether, especially without their consent. The specific circumstances surrounding this case began in 2013 when the refugees formally asked to be admitted to the UK. In late 2014, that request was denied by the Secretary of State and that was challenged on the basis that it contravened the UN Convention relating to the status of refugees from 1951. It is worth taking a moment outlining the relevant provision, which states, quote, Any state may, at the time of signature, ratification or accession, declare that this convention shall extend to all or any of the territories for the international relations of which it is responsible, End quote. Now when the UK signed up it still had control over Cyprus and the government at the time stated that the convention would extend to the island. Subsequently after Cyprus gained independence, their government acceded to the convention themselves. The fly in the ointment is that there has never actually been a declaration with respect to the SBAs. While the High Court felt that the convention did not extend to the SBAs under international law, the Court of Appeal disagreed on different grounds. As the case came before the Supreme Court, the Home Office reiterated its position and it became clear that a number of issues needed to be resolved. In the end, there were five questions for the justices to answer, but in a rather unusual move, the court only gave an interim judgment and answered the first three questions on the basis that they needed more time and information in order to be able to answer the other two. With that in mind, let's go through the questions in order and try to work out what the status of the case is today. The first question was whether the convention does actually apply to the SBAs, and the court answered in the affirmative. The logic is that the obligations under a treaty will only cease to apply if a territory becomes independent. Both of the SBAs were part of Britain before and after Cypriot independence, Therefore, they were continually obligated under the Convention from 1956 to the modern day. The second question follows on from the first and asks whether those obligations entitle the refugees to be resettled in the UK. Here, however, the justices responded in the negative, as the responsibilities that exist with respect to a particular territory do not extend beyond that territory. This is consistent with the wording of the Convention that was drafted at a time when colonialism was coming to an end, but still had meaningful implications for countries like Britain that have a history marked by colonial endeavours across the globe. Furthermore, the quote from the convention that I gave in full earlier on makes it clear that any state would have to actively declare that the treaty will extend to other territories for which it is responsible. The third question was whether the 2003 agreement that the UK will pay for Cyprus to provide government services was valid under the convention. In the end, the context of both the treaty and the political situation in the region meant that this was held to be an acceptable arrangement. For a start, there is nothing that specifically excludes this kind of deal. While there is mention of refugees being offered the appropriate treatment within a territory, that doesn't negate the 2003 memorandum between the UK and Cyprus. Beyond that, there are also very close links between the SBAs and Cyprus, not only in a geographical sense, but also the practical relationships that has been necessitated by the last 50 years. To prove my point, the Ministry of Defence is having to consider extending the port in Akrotiri to get supplies to the base if Brexit impacts supplies coming through Cyprus instead. Anyway, the point is that the 2003 agreement is a practical solution for a military base not exactly accustomed to a civilian population. All of this chimes with the approach to treaty interpretation set out in Article One of the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, which states that, quote, a treaty shall be interpreted in good faith in accordance with the ordinary meaning to be given to the terms of the treaty in their context and in the light of its object and purpose, end quote. In the end, however, it's almost impossible to draw any full conclusion to this case when the questions are only partially answered. No doubt we will return to it at some point in the podcast, but the issue of the 2005 agreement is key to understanding this case. Perhaps what we can do instead is offer some sort of reasoned opinion about what that final outcome might be. In my view, it looks like things are going the way of the Home Office at this stage, as the justices have already given the nod to the 2003 agreement, and the one from 2005 simply follows on from this. The main counter-argument is that the refugees did not consent for responsibility for them to be transferred from the UK to Cyprus, and that is true, but at the same time should not directly impact on their refugee status. Furthermore, the Supreme Court has already indicated that this may be considered a practical response, For a military base that is trying to cater towards the needs of a civilian population. Of course this doesn't tell us anything about the politics or morality of the decision made by the UK government with respect to the refugees. The UN High Commissioner for Refugees has been especially critical of this country throughout the litigation of this matter, and it is not hard to see why. These people have been stuck in limbo for more than 20 years now and that represents a significant part of any person's life. The UK has a right to set an immigration policy, and even put limits on numbers, but when it comes to refugees, the UK has a significant international obligation that has to be abided by. Following a very black-letter law approach might be a way to meet that obligation, but it doesn't really say much about the UK's duty and role on an international stage, especially when we compare it with other Western countries that are taking a similarly hostile approach to refugees escaping persecution in their home countries. This is probably going off on too much of a political tangent at this stage, so I'll simply finish by saying that following the law is not the same as following the spirit of the law. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. Thanks as ever to bensound.com who provides the theme music, and to everyone who leaves a rating and a review on iTunes. The most recent review is from Jack M 93 who left a very kind comment. Um, he's a second-year law student, um, really enjoys the podcast as well as the YouTube channel, so very much appreciate that. Up to 92 reviews as of recording, um, and I promise that I'll stop pestering when we get to 100, so eight more to go. Um, probably won't get to that before the end of the year, um, but hopefully we'll do soon. Right, I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!